welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 40, recorded on September 18th, 2019. Autonomous Cloud Pod. Hey guys, how's it going tonight? Going well. Yeah. Well, I uh, I spent time at Oracle Open World, so it's it's been a long week. Oof. Yeah. Wow. It's like a whole week of Mondays this week so far. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. week of Mondays, and, and then had some production issues at the office today, so super fun. But uh, we have lots of stuff to get to because we will cover uh, Oracle here after we get through the the real news of the week, and uh, then we can talk all about Oracle and, and the fun at Oracle Open World that I had. So, all right. First up, some follow up. Cloudflare uh, did do their IPO. They uh, raised $525 million in their opening, and they closed 27% up uh, on the first day of trading. They did uh, set their share, their share price at $15 a piece, uh, with a tar- you know, the original target being about 12 to 14 so a little bit over their target. And they are fully trading now on the market, so you can get uh, your Cloudflare stock today if you wanted to. Uh, the co-founders Matthew Prince and Michelle Zatlin uh, penned a blog post uh, where they said, We will continue to invest in R&D as long, so long as it demonstrates a significant return. Our investment philosophy is orientated around making many small, inexpensive bets, quickly killing the ones that don't work, and increasing investment in the ones that do. Very lean startup Very much so. Hopefully they don't go too far and go Google and just start killing stuff people love. Yeah, with only their 1% market share. Uh, they've got a lot of room to grow with that $15. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they have a lot of upside there. That's It's not bad stock to buy if you're into yeah. stocks. All right. Yeah, what well, a great... It just seems like a perfect pricing of it and a good solid uh, validation that the market sees some good opportunity. With I mean, that. it's definitely better than WeWork, which uh, has now delayed their their IPO. Ooh. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's like, well. <laughs> um, we're a tech company. We're a tech company. What do you do? We buy real estate and we we lease it to tech companies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that doesn't mean you're a tech company just because you sell to tech companies. I don't understand how that works. Yeah, I mean, why let your employees work from home when you can? pay we work to let them work from an even more inconvenient place yeah yeah exactly, exactly. perfect <laughs> let's move on to aws uh so the vpc flow logs have added additional metadata uh you know flow logs initially came out in 2015 and they were a bit limited uh only providing you really source ip source port uh, destination ip destination port uh, and then the action if it was either accepted or rejected and of course the status uh if it was completed uh now with additional metadata you can add to it vpc id subnet id instance IDs, TCP flags, types of packets, packet source address, and packet destination addresses. So that's actually a pretty nice uh, upgrade of metadata information for your full logs. Instance ID seems super cool just to get us to that ephemeral state, be able to quickly track what box was doing what and sort of sync that up with the rest of your logs on activity from instances. Oh, and it's, it's great now because even auto-scaling groups, you can you can track that instance ID back to the group and the you know the application is running on it, even though the instance may have disappeared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I wish I wish they would also have container ID, but uh, you know, like maybe the next next enhancement can. Have well, that. maybe maybe they do steps. that for uh, Kubernetes. Maybe, yeah. But no, no, but even even more importantly, though, it's it's uh, actually useful now because in a, in an org with many accounts, uh, not having VPC ID in there previously made it pretty hard to aggregate that data and report on it from any kind of central place. You'd have to kind of uh, inspect it and enrich it. At some other intermediate place before you could push it into uh, a sim, and so now it's actually useful out of the box. And there, there are some pretty lightweight companies that kind of come around about this too. It would help you parse these data and then query the APIs to get the metadata that you needed to actually make them useful. Um, and those kind of became features of other products. Um, so that was good that those kind of that's been eliminated now. You get a much better you know out of the box experience, which is great. Yeah, but the TCP flags. I mean, there's there's so much you can do with it now that you couldn't before. Before you you could you could say, well, was I talking to somebody or not? But you didn't know whether you, who initiated the connection or, or uh, you know, if the, the NAT gateway would get in the way and all of a sudden you lose context. So it's 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 neat. Yeah, super neat. Uh, well, you know, we talked last week about uh, announcements from reInvent, and somehow we forgot that they haven't released Outposts, <laughs> uh, which was announced last year at reInvent, and that they. Uh, is really actually the one that they haven't shipped yet, uh, unlike the one we talked about last week. Uh, so Amazon has released a new blog post um, updating some of the things that the Outpost will be able to provide to you, as well as a handy YouTube video that kind of gives you a, a tour of the Outpost rack. Uh, but basically, the uh, video and everything basically talks about that you can now, on Outpost, support uh, different instance types, including C5s, M5s, R5s, 
um, i3 ENs and G4 uh, class instance types uh, with and without local storage options, as well as uh, supporting Amazon EBS volumes. Uh, they're also still going to be supporting a wide, wide range of Amazon services, including Amazon ECS and EKS, uh, EMR, and RDS databases. Uh, SageMaker and Managed Kafka service will be coming later in, after the launch, uh, and these services will work seamlessly with Amazon services running in the cloud. Uh, so you can have private connectivity to S3 or DynamoDB workers running in the cloud or in your outpost uh, and share data between them. All of your standard Amazon tools will work with Outposts as well. Uh, API calls will be logged via CloudTrail, just like you're used to. Uh, and your existing cloud formation will work as well. Probably was just a little bit of minor uh, reconfiguration. Uh, they did point out, though, in this, that they're not expecting this to be a disconnected uh, device. So you can't use it on a uh, cruise boat or a shipping container of some sort that you wanted to have disconnected for a while and, and provide compute services. Uh, and if you want that use case, they recommend that you use the Snowball Edge uh, instead. The thing that's most surprising about the way they've architected the Outposts is that um, I mean, we all thought that outpost you, you you could drop it in the middle of a desert someplace with a power supply and and you you'd have an Amazon data center in a box, but it's not. It's really tightly coupled to the the, the local region, and it, in a way that that does simplify things because um, you know I expected that you'd you'd have like a local region and you point all your tools at your local region, but no, you you pointed at the local Amazon region and you just deploy your own VPC. So it's very seamlessly integrated. I'd love to know how much they're going to charge for it. Yeah, they, had, they did not announce any pricing. They did not announce any availability of when these will be available. But they did say there was a customer out there who's been using them very successfully. Uh, so I assume that might be revealed in the future here as well as their use case partner. Yeah, I think one of the cool uh, things about this, I, I envision that it's really going to increase the flexibility for, cost, for customers who want to do more transformation um, in line with or prior to migration to be able to do that in their data center, like migrate from file uh, system storage to object storage in their app, um, basically roll out those features before they move, before they migrate out of their data center. So it'd be interesting to see if this becomes a cool tool to help people accelerate their transformations prior to migrating. The pricing thing is really interesting because it's obviously they're offering just a, the control plane. So networks all local. So I'd hope that they weren't going to charge for you know network egress. Yeah, and ingress <laughs> charge when, when, for your own network. <laughs> for your own network. I mean, you're already paying for your own power as well. So um, I'm curious, really curious to see how how they're going to price the resources that you rent. You know, do you, do you get all the EC2 instances for free basically? Do you just pay for the hardware? It's, I don't know. I can't imagine any other pricing scenario other than you know sort of based on your configuration whatever that configuration is, a flat monthly fee to have it in your data center. Yeah, I assume that they'll you know, handle all the servicing of the device and you know, repair items if something fails. I assume they'll be handling almost all of that. Um, it's interesting, though, that the Amazon ECS and EKS uh, and RDS are all services that I kind of said would be kind of cool to have in my own data center, but I hope that the only way I can get those services isn't through outposts because <laughs> I still like to be able to use ECS or EKS in my private cloud um, and use the same control tier of that, but uh, we'll see what this ends up being as they kind of release more details, hopefully, in the next few months um, or at reInvent as we head into that. Amazon Service Catalog has announced uh, budget visibility. Uh, the Service Catalog provides budget visibility on your portfolio and products by integrating into the AWS Budgets console. Uh, this feature allows you to create and associate budgets with portfolios and products and track your spend uh, directly to the Service Catalog item. I mean, I, I, it's, for me, Service Catalog never took off because it's, it was driven by CloudFormation too early. Before CloudFormation supported, um, you know, assuming somebody else's role or, or assuming a role into another account, and so it was really a non-starter in a big organization to, to try and um, to try and use it for anything sensible. So I always kind uh, of felt like it was an anti-pattern, right? Because it's it's very walled garden. You can only use what's in the CloudFormation that's been published to your portal. You know, and and I guess you can make those relatively complicated, um, but you know, it just it's not a way I want to leverage cloud. <laughs> and so I've just never been a big fan of it. And I'd much rather use you know, Terraform with things like Sentinel uh, to do preventions and, and you know, make the configuration more secure that way versus using a pre-baked CloudFormation template that's very unflexible. Yeah, I think this is really targeted to the more of the traditional IT organization where um, they design, test, and roll out package services to... Um, to developers or business units and what they wanted was to allow to give that self-service capability without giving 
the actual capability to spin up the natives underneath so that you don't have to give, you know, people EC2 run because that's part of the service that you want to offer them. And then you have to worry about them spinning up a bunch of other EC2 stuff. So I think it's, I think it was a great idea and not a, not a bad implementation, but um, Justin, I think you nail it when it's like, you know, people like you who are doing this, this, it's, it, it doesn't make much sense for you to necessarily use it based on your capabilities yeah. and your companies. Yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to hear from somebody who is actually using it for something because even in the traditional IT type organization where they package services, do they really encourage self-service? I, I don't think they do. I mean, a lot of companies yeah. do, right? Larger enterprises particularly, they want you to be able to go you know, fill out a form and get a server for your project or fill out a form and get a workstation. There's a lot of procurement opportunities with with it and how you can do different things, um, but you know then of course things like workspaces were never really well supported by CloudFormation. So you know those use cases, I'm like, oh that makes sense. I could do that to maybe provision an account, provision a workspace, and publish that as a portal. Yeah, that, that's not a use case you can really do because CloudFormation doesn't support it. So right. there's there's all these edge cases that kind of it lets you down when you think like, oh I finally have that use case I can use it, uh, and then you try to go do it and you're like, oh yeah I can't do that exactly as I wanted to. I believe there's also integrations with ServiceNow. So you can actually offer this through ServiceNow so people could fully, basically order the service through their current ticketing system. Yeah, I think we talked about that integration in like episode two or three of the podcast. That integration was announced, uh, I think maybe at reInvent even. But yeah, it's it's definitely there. It's definitely a capability. But even Service Catalog inside of um, ServiceNow is, is also limited, but it's, it's a little more flexible in some ways because it, it's a workflow engine with a an automation engine on the back end that you can kind of fire off all kinds of automations with. Um, but yeah, the, the, my biggest complaint actually about whole this whole service catalog thing is that if it's part of ITIL, it's part of ITSM, and so then it becomes part of SOC controls, where they're like, you need to have a service catalog. And I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> my service catalog is Amazon. That yeah, is exactly. my catalog. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little bit of an interesting you know, thing you have to kind of... You know, you can't explain to your auditor that you have a service catalog and it's these services I have enabled with IAM permissions when they have a service called service catalog. And they're like, no, no, that's the thing we want because it matches what my ITIL book says. And that's a terrible scenario. Well, ECS has released a new uh, logging solution called FireLens. Uh, this is in preview. Uh, FireLens allows you to route logs to multiple destinations and utilizing ECS with EC2 or Fargate. Uh, you can route those logs using FluentD and FluentBit uh, providers, uh, and you can send them directly to AWS CloudWatch or to partner destinations like Sumo Logic um, or other Logarithm, etc. Uh, the use cases they gave you an example was providing a simple method of sending container standard out logs to almost any destination. Uh, you can filter the logs at the source, of course, because it's FluentBit and FluentD, and decorate your logs with ECS metadata, uh, as I love to decorate all my logs uh, <laughs> all the time. I mean, if only they had just announced the event bridge that they could have used to hook your logs to anything you wanted to in the world. But now they built a totally separate system, so that's kind of bizarre. I think they're really trying to get in bed with FluentD and FluentBit, uh, which is why it isn't quite fit into the event bridge service. But yeah, I hear you. It makes sense. Oh, no, it's, it's, I like, I like the, the way you can customize your log formats. It's, it's always been really difficult to do that um, without sort of resorting to like text and JSON hackery to put things where they belong and have structured data. So it's, I guess it's going to be useful. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. www.fogops.io slash thecloudpod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, you know what everyone, uh, every developer needs, you guys, uh, when you're using NoSQL, is a workbench tool to visualize all your NoSQL data. And uh, Amazon has uh, provided that for you now with the new NoSQL workbench for Amazon DynamoDB, now in preview. Uh, this is a simple way for developers to build scalable, high-performance data models and to simplify query development and testing. Uh, this is a free tool, client-side application, available for Windows and Macs. Uh, and the workbench helps simplify and accelerate the process of building data models by providing a rich graphical user interface to visualize data and perform DynamoDB operations. 
uh, and available for download today. Um, although I will give you a word of caution. Uh, people on Twitter were saying that it does overwrite your AWS uh, credentials file, uh, which, is not, which is not supposed to do. Uh, but if you have, by the time Jonathan edits the episodes and publishes, it should be fixed. But if not, uh, <laughs> then you know, do be cautious as you deploy this tool and maybe back up your credential file just in case. Ah, well, let's, let's hope so. And I, I'm just waiting for two or three weeks from now, it'll be introducing NoSQL Workbench with Mongo compatibility, I should say. Yes, for sure. And these tools are really nice. It, it's, it kind of, it always makes me chuckle, though, when these tools come out because... The whole point of NoSQL was that you didn't need all these things. And, and the more we've had NoSQL in the world, the more uh, either software abstraction layers that recreate uh, you know, relational databases uh, are created in code to live on top of NoSQL, or these two other tools come out that let you do these very anti-pattern things for uh, NoSQL, which I super enjoy the irony of. Yeah, I, I'm, I was just imagining that in my head as, as you were describing the whole service. I was thinking, uh, you know, the beautiful GUI, what are you going to link the tables to? Because it's, it's not relational, so... Mm-hmm. It makes the tool very simple. It's yeah, just a, it's so. just like a text editor. I will download it and take a look, <laughs> I think. Uh, I downloaded it, and then I didn't install it because it was going to release my credential file, and I got scared. So Maybe it's just a rebranded Atom. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe so. We'll see. All right, moving on to Google and all things in the world of Google. Uh, they have apparently partnered with the Mayo Clinic uh, on AI-powered medical research. Uh, this teaming up as a 10-year strategic partnership, making GCP the cornerstone of the Mayo Clinic's uh, digital transformation initiatives. Uh, they also leverage the Google AI tools to manage its research efforts. Uh, the partnership will see Google opening a new office in Rochester, Minnesota, uh, which is close to the Mayo Clinic HQ. And the statement from Christopher Ross, Chief Intelligence Officer at Mayo Clinic, said, With Google Cloud's secure and compliant digital platform, we will be able to leverage innovative cloud technology, industry-leading AI, and healthcare-specific solutions so we can focus on revolutionizing healthcare delivery and taking care of our patients. This is, my, I think, the thing I'm most excited about with what we're doing in the space we're in in cloud infrastructure. It, the R&D and the drug development and the healthcare benefits, I, I, I imagine a significant percent of the people listening to this podcast are going to have their lives saved at some point because of something we learn and do in this space. If you search for any kind of health information online, almost certainly the, the top five results is going to be a information page from the Mayo Clinic. I always thought they were a, a private sort of for-profit clinic, but I guess not. I just found out when I read up on this article that they're actually a non-profit medical center. Pretty big too. Well, very well respected as well. Uh, Absolutely. Up, up yeah. there with Stanford and, and several others uh, you know, in the research community. So, Yeah, it's really awesome. And uh, it's a big boost of confidence to Google if you're trying to go down the healthcare side that the Mayo Clinic said we're going to do this too. So that's a, that's a great marquee customer for Google. Really nice win by them. Uh, Anthos has a simplified application modernization with a new managed service mesh and serverless for your hybrid cloud solution. Uh, this update provides you now access to the Anthos service mesh uh, and Cloud Run for Anthos, um, all on-premise. Uh, this al- can allow you to use the Anthos config management to help teams automate and enforce org-specific policies, as well as enforce binary authorization to make sure that only validated and verified images are integrated into your managed uh, system. Of course, the service Mish uh, is built on top of Istio Open APIs, and the Cloud Run for Anthos is based on Knative, an open API and runtime environment for Kubernetes. My first question is, does it still cost $10,000 a month if you run it on your own hardware? Oh, you will be the first to know if uh, this tool becomes cheaper. <laughs> I have it in my notes. When they announce the price cut, let Jonathan know. Text him at 3 in the morning. Me uh, as too. I'm doing, as I'm doing show notes, uh, I'll let you guys Me know. Me too. Uh, but yes, they have not announced a price cut for Anthos yet, but I do hope that comes at some day. All right, on to Azure. Uh, Microsoft and Disney uh, have agreed to a partnership to allow them to speed up movie and TV production with a new scene-to-screen cloud deal. Uh, This is a five-year deal between Azure uh, and uh, Disney to allow them to simplify the process uh, to create content in their system. Uh, Jamie Voris, CTO of Disney Studios, said in a statement, by moving many of our production and post-production workflows to the cloud, we're optimistic that we can create content more quickly and efficiently around the world. Through this innovation partnership with Microsoft, we're able to streamline many of our processes so our talented filmmakers can focus on what they do best. 
Of course, Disney is on a rush to create more and more content for their new Disney streaming service. Uh, but they also do have a relationship with Amazon, uh, choosing it as a preferred cloud provider in 2017. So I imagine this is part of the, hey, we want to use something from Azure, and like if you're referenceable, we'll give you a discount. But uh, maybe maybe there's more to it than that. We'll see. Uh, yeah, there's not much detail on which workloads they're moving exactly. I mean, it could be finance and uh, you know procurement or something. Not what we would traditionally relate uh, to, uh, you know, Disney and movie production. But yeah, I wonder if we'll ever know, or if this is just, hey, we're going to use several of the clouds and benefit from business relationships with all of them, uh, or if there's actually differentiators between them and they're picking specific workflows for different clouds. I mean, I think the hardest thing about doing this is that the data that they're handling, the, the file sizes are so huge, they're not going to want to be moving those back and forth between clouds for different workflows. So for sure. probably going to be more on a movie-by-movie movie basis, I'd imagine. Maybe it's just to get access to SharePoint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Azure has uh, created user-delegated uh, shared access signature tokens for Azure storage blobs. These are, uh, you know, if you use any type of object storage, you typically want to have a use case where you want to provide the ability to issue pre-authorized URLs, which provide time-limited access directly to specific content, of course, without requiring a service to a proxy uh, this access. Uh, the shared access signature tokens are used in most object storage solutions like S3 and Azure Blob Storage and Google's. Uh, and Azure is launching in preview a new kind of token, uh, the user delegated SAS token. This capability allows users who are under least privilege to issue SAS tokens while only granting a subset of their own yeah, that's access cool. rights. I, I wish, uh, I wish everybody nice did the same thing because it's such a gaping hole in security when if you give somebody any permission to create a policy an IM policy, then they can essentially just create themselves a new policy, assume it, and give themselves whatever permissions they like. So partially solved in AWS with a pastoral permission, but it's neat that they've extended it to um, pre-shared URLs. Uh, announcing the new Azure Private Link service. Uh, this is uh, very similar to what AWS provides in their Private Link capability. Uh, this is direct access from your compute instances running inside the Azure cloud to things like the blob access storage or to the managed database services without having to tra traverse the public endpoints for those services. Um, this is a pretty popular service for things like XFIL avoidance uh, and for least privileged access models. Uh, so it's nice to see coming to the Azure cloud now as well as the that, AWS most cloud, exciting thing about this is that they um, they handle duplicate IP ranges, unlike AWS with um, Transit Gateway or any of their peering solutions. You have to have distinct IP ranges, but Azure are uh, going to nap things for you to avoid problems with IP conflicts, which is which is really cool. Perfect. All right, and now moving on to the uh, Oracle section of the podcast, uh, which is our one and only time we had an Oracle section on the podcast, because it's been uh, Oracle Open World this week, uh, which has taken over San Francisco, uh, Moscone Center. Uh, it's a uh, interesting conference. I got the chance to visit as a uh, influencer slash media talent, uh, which is super awesome uh, superpower, you guys. That if you have an influencer press badge <laughs> when you walk around booths, people run away from you versus running towards with you because most of them aren't authorized to talk to media, which is super fun. <laughs> I need to try that. Yeah, exactly. I was like, wow, <laughs> maybe I want media passes for all the conferences now. Uh, but yeah, so it was, it was an interesting conference. Um, yeah, they re they kind of released their new branding, which is a little bit less uh, 1992, a little bit more uh, hip. Uh, although we're not say it's hip, uh, it's just it's more hip than it was. Uh, and overall, there was quite a few announcements uh, coming out of that. Um, I live tweeted the keynote with uh, Mr. Ellison uh, along with Corey. He's sitting next to me, and so we were bouncing ideas off each other as we we were blown away with amazement of the number of lies that come out of Larry's vo uh, mouth. It's sort of like he got the cloud practitioner AWS exam passed, but then he didn't do the solutions architect or the pro or the standard. Because uh, like his knowledge is, he starts saying something, you're like, but, but Amazon has that and they've had it for a long time, but it's because he only read the first page of the brief. So he doesn't actually know that they have the next steps of it. Uh, it was hmm. really quite interesting. So I, I have a new way to refer to the Oracle cloud. I'm now going to call it the us Two cloud uh, because everything they announced uh, was just stuff that other people had already. <laughs> there was nothing innovative that no other cloud provider already had. Uh, everything was basically a copy of something AWS, Azure, or Google have, and so I'm now naming them the Us2 cloud, uh, because you can't use Me2 because that has other purposes that are more important and more important like to it. society. So we'll call this the Us2 cloud. Uh, so let me kind of run you guys through some of the announcements, and then you can pick my brain. 
on all things Oracle. Well, then we can guess what year they're at. Yeah. Exactly. Like, is this 2012? Yeah, exactly. What year did they get? Uh, well, first of all, it's sad news. Uh, Oracle co-CEO Mark Hurd has uh, taken a leave of absence uh, for unspecified health reasons. Uh, this did put a little bit of a blip in their Oracle open world communication because he was supposed to do the keynote on Tuesday. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, co-CEO Safra Katz had to step in uh, to take care of that. So hopefully he gets well. Um, I don't want to uh, say anything ill about Mark Hurd. He's a very smart executive. Uh, but uh, he was unfortunately not there, and it did show a little bit on Tuesday that was a little bit of a rough uh, presentation, unfortunately. Uh, going on to the US2 announcements, though, the first one was they announced a unified billing uh, for partner solutions on the Oracle Cloud Marketplace. Uh, this is a feature that allows you to bill your customers for the solutions you sell them in the marketplace. Oh, wow. What cut, What percentage are they taking of that? Uh, you know, I didn't ask questions at that point. I, I was just so blown away that this was the first announcement of the keynote. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> So them them taking a cut of your revenue is the best thing they have to announce. The first thing they announce on on the stage. That's that's yeah, awesome. it was pretty great. Uh, continuing on with the US two announcements, uh, they have a new partnership with uh, VMware. Oracle and VMware uh, now allow you to run VMware on OCI. Uh, this includes the VMware vSphere, the NSX T, and the VMware vSAN and VMware HCX capabilities. Uh, and they can deploy this on bare metal instances as well as uh, virtual machines in their cloud. Uh, that are validated by the Design Architecture and VMware Certified Hardware Club. Now, uh, he then went moved on to announcing both the Autonomous Linux system and the Autonomous Cloud. Uh, Autonomous Linux uh, extends the capabilities of Linux uh, to automatically patch your system, uh, secure it, and avoid human error by delivering unprecedented cost-saving security and availability for their customers. Always secure with continuous thread monitoring and exploit detection, continuous configuration compliance checks, and immediate fleet-wide operating system patching and remediation. Uh, and they leverage this in their systems. They say that you do not need a human uh, to uh, do any of this work, that it's all autonomous, it'll all figure out what you need access-wise, and it'll all be automatical for all of your needs. I can't wait for the first huge outage. Yes, I, I all I could think of was... So you're just going to upgrade my Java under the hood while my app's running, and you're not going to expect that to break my app in some horrible way? That's a pretty bold statement. Um, one of the yeah. funny moments of this was though, then they talked about you know all the customers of the Oracle Cloud, and they, brought, they put up a slide with Amazon's logo and IBM's logo uh, and said, you know, they're customers of ours and partners, and we love them, and blah, 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 and you know, they use our products just like everyone else. And then they literally said, and you can cut your IBM Red Hat bill to zero with Oracle Linux Autonomous Linux. So I'm like, so literally one slide you said they're a partner and they're really great friends of yours, and then you cut them down on the next slide. It was fantastic. Oh, I love how they said they were giving it away for free if you pay for support. Yes, if you pay which for is, support. Which is not free. No, which is not free. <laughs> uh, moving on, they announced, uh, of course, you know, they already said they're having 15 regions in 2019. Uh, they decided to double down on that, going to 36 regions uh, next year, uh, including areas as exciting as the Bay Area. Uh, Belo Horizonte, Brazil, Amsterdam, Osaka, Hyderabad, Singapore, and many, many more places uh, which they announced on stage, uh, which is quite interesting. They uh, talked about, they released a SIM tool, very similar to GuardDuty, <laughs> you know, the security hub product. Uh, so again, another US2 announcement. They also announced uh, the autonomous database uh, capabilities that now keep your Oracle database patched and up to date at all times. And then they talked about their new free tier, which actually is the one announcement I was really actually happy about because it's actually a really nice offer if you want to use Oracle uh, for some reason. It's a free tier that includes up to two autonomous databases, um, either data warehouse or transactional with one OCPU and 20 gigs of storage. Uh, you can have two compute VMs with uh, one-eighth of an OCPU and one gig of memory. You can get two block volumes with 100 gigs of storage uh, with up to five free backups. You get 10 gigs of object storage, 10 gigs of archive storage, and 50,000 monthly API requests. You get one load balancer, as long as it doesn't exceed 10 megabytes of bandwidth. And you get 10 terabytes of outbound data transfer, as well as 500 million ingestion data points and 1 billion data points for their monitoring service, and 1 million notification delivery options per month, uh, and 1,000 emails delivered. Uh, so, you know, for a free tier, that's a pretty healthy free tier, and it's always free. It will not uh, basically you know, end after the first year. It's yours. These services are yours. There are some gotchas when you sign up for it. You have to pick the region you want the free stuff in. You can't change that later. Um, so it's a one-time thing. And if you do go outside these boundaries, um, that's a big bill. So be careful. Is that one eighth of an OCPU? That's what, what it says. Yes. What is that exactly? Is that is that like your share? You know, they didn't. They, they didn't. Uh, they didn't clarify what an OCPU was, and I didn't have the time or t or patience to go look it up. Um, 
but yeah, it, it's something like a vCPU, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, at least if, if you're gonna if you're gonna have some kind of units to describe CPUs, at least at least make it whole numbers, because <laughs> 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 an eighth sounds really cheap. It does. It does sound really cheap, doesn't it? Uh, and then there are a couple of other. You could have made it a thousand OCPUs. I mean, why not? Uh, I mean, I was impressed yeah. they were giving you two Oracle databases. Those things are expensive. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean that's that's uh, it's like it's like you get the receipt at Safeway. It's like you only paid five dollars for a ninety-five dollar value. Yeah, uh, there's a couple yeah. other announcements uh, for you guys to know about. Uh, they have some new really large database machines with integrated persistent storage. Uh, New Intel's new Optane DC persistent memory capabilities and some of their Exadata systems. Uh, they did release the Oracle JDK 13 release, so now uh, you can start getting annoyed by the Oracle Sun installer telling you to upgrade to Oracle 13. And then they also announced they re achieved a FedRAMP uh, for the OCI infrastructure. Um, so yeah, overall it was um, it was interesting. <laughs> uh, Corey and I partnered up together to determine how many times he mentioned Amazon or AWS in his keynote. Uh, of course, the third slide of the deck that he presented was uh, basically a Capital One breach, which was a little, <laughs> which was a little dirty. And he, you know, he basically said, you know, that he basically quoted something from the shared security model where it said, you know, Amazon doesn't take responsibility for your configurations. It's all up to you. It's on you to be secure. You know, Amazon doesn't protect you, but the Oracle, Oracle Autonomous Cloud does. Ooh. Oracle Autonomous Cloud prevents you from making those type of errors. And the only true way to avoid data breach is to Eliminate humans. So nice. Well, that's good to know that if we move to the Oracle Autonomous Cloud and our stuff gets hacked, that Oracle is going to pay our bill. Yeah, you know, I, he didn't say they put that in their contract. I, I don't necessarily know if that's true. Um, so you know, be careful. Well, be careful how far this goes down the down the rabbit hole. But uh, if I, if I'm a litigating attorney, I'm going to take that quote when I go to oh, court for sure. Uh, but you know, he did mention at the beginning of you know one of the funniest things was. Uh, Corey tweeted something about you know you know there's a warning for our our tweet storm about then you know the fact that nothing's true and blah 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 and don't take us seriously and all that and then literally this lovely British person uh, hopped on the PA and then basically read their entire safe harbor statement to us in the audience um, you know mm -hmm. that nothing nothing said on stage is true or factual or implication of future product plans by Oracle which is hilarious for a, a conference where you're announcing new products and features. Wow, you know Larry Ellison for president. That's all. That's all I can say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he. Uh, there, there are there are moments you where you're for. like, wow, this is a very Trump moment where you're saying something just absolutely ridiculous. Any other questions I can answer for you guys on the uh, Oracle conference? Uh, oh, um, the other thing he then uh, after he attacked Capital One, he attacked Equinix. So you know, there's always always the joy of uh, you know a vendor beating down companies who've made mistakes uh, on stage in public. It's it's super nice. I guess I'm. Yeah, I guess I'm dying to know how much money Oracle is investing in this business because this seems like it's either going to be the biggest company pivot and turnaround in the history of capitalism or the one of the biggest gaffes. Or they're just not spending that much. But it seems like they're well, spending so a lot of money. Well, they were proud that they had 40,000 customers. It was interesting because they... They presented on stage, you know, a ton of customer slides, you know, but not, no customers on stage with Larry. They were just, you know, quotes of like, you know, this customer is using Oracle Cloud for this, and this customer moved their JD Edwards system to the cloud, uh, and are saving huge things. And 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 you know, every one of those customers I saw is a customer I've seen on Google's decks, AWS's decks, or Azure's decks. So none of their customers are unique to them. None of there's no customer out there who's going like all in on Oracle Cloud. It's a it's a perfect play if you are already embedded in Oracle for some reason, either using Oracle Financials, using PeopleSoft, or using JD Edwards, um, NetSuite, whatever. You know, renegotiate your licenses, move it to Oracle's cloud, uh, and probably you save a ton of money by doing that. And you don't have to manage it as much. You don't have to care and feed it as much. I think that's a win for those customers. And those are the customers who are moving to the cloud with Oracle are really these very point solutions that are complicated to manage around themselves. They can offload to a SaaS provider like Oracle, and then they claim that as their revenue um, of their OCI. But really, it's just revenue of their Oracle business that they've always had. They just moved it to the cloud and made it SaaS. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember Andy Jassy talking yeah. years ago, I mean, like four or five years ago maybe, about uh, Amazon passing the 1 million active enterprise customer mark. The, the scale, 40,000 versus a million, it's it's hard to see how Oracle are going to actually make 30-yard uh, data centers or 30-yard regions uh, be profitable for them. Well, again, I think it's a question of how much hardware is going to be in there. Um, you know, are you yeah. talking about racks and racks and racks of gear, or are you talking about you know a few cabinets and now we have a region? 
Um, I don't think these regions, when we hear them, are at the nearly at the scale that you know we're talking about with AWS or AW or Azure or anybody else. So I, I think it's really interesting. One of the so one of the things that Corey and I partnered with last year, I don't know if you guys remember, because we weren't doing the podcast, and I tweeted it, and maybe I mentioned to you guys, but um, I took Oracle's or Larry's keynote, and I put it into Transcribe, um, and I counted the number of times he mentioned AWS, Amazon, or Jeff Bezos, and it was like 153 times. I remember that. <laughs> um, so this year, uh, Corey and I partnered up to do it, and so he, you know, we ran through the system, and we he did reduce the number of times he said AWS. He only said it 78 times this time. Uh, but the more interesting part was Corey added a little wrinkle of how many times did he say the word customer? And he only mentioned customer 64 times. So he mentioned Ooh. Amazon and AWS more than he mentioned customer on stage, which is you know just how much he's concerned about uh, Amazon at the end of the day, in my opinion. Did he mention Jedi? He did not mention Jedi. There was no mention of that. Um, you know, but he did talk – I guess he sort of mentioned it because he talked about how they're the only – only secure cloud for government um, that's autonomous. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you sort of mentioned it, I guess. Invent this um, new thing and then claim we're the only people that have it. Well, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it was, overall, it was, it was a very um, interesting experience <laughs> to go and, and check out what, uh, what they're doing there and, and kind of see it. And, you know, one of the things that was most shocking to me, too, was just walking around the conference. You know, uh, I'm dressed in a you know dress shirt and, and jeans and all that, and I'm way underdressed. Corey normally is in a three-piece suit, and he was underdressed uh, because there was a lot of executives in suits and ties walking around um, okay. the conference, which was kind of shocking They're to me. They're lawyers, right? Hmm. <laughs> they probably were. But do people um, actually pay to go to that conference? Is it like a, a you know, you, you pay for Oh, yeah, they, people pay a lot of money for this conference. And, and it's interesting because... Um, I had heard when I, you know, the the biggest tech conference you could go to, you know, this is 10 years ago. The biggest tech conference you could go to was Oracle Open World. Like, that's where everyone went. Uh, that's what people went to and all that. And so I always assumed it was this really big, massive conference. And I went to Dreamforce, I think, two years ago. And Dreamforce is a zoo. Oh, yeah. It is crazy. Um, Oracle Open World was nowhere near as populated as, as Dreamforce was. So I, I don't think it's as big as it used to be. Um, in several ways, you know, they combined the Java conference with Oracle Open World, so doing both of those now at the same time, I think, to boost the numbers. There, there's just a lot of uh, uh, interesting things here. I did, uh, I did have a tweet thread that I, I tweeted as the keynote went on, so that you can uh, basically watch, uh, scroll through as you're watching the keynote. Um, you know, there's some markers in there that you can probably follow. Uh, let me see if there's anything else I meant. I forgot to mention that I should uh, talk about. Oh. Um, they did have an escape room apparently at the uh, the developer Groundbreakers Hub, and uh, my joke there was that uh, you get to escape the Oracle legal contracts. <laughs> <laughs> huh. uh, their musical acts for their concert at the Chase Center was uh, John Mayer and Flo Rida, uh, which is an interesting combination. I, I don't know. I didn't go to that. Uh, I I kind of wanted to just because it sounded intriguing, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, yeah, he the quote was eliminating human error is the only way to prevent data theft. Um, that was what he said on stage. The very first attack was about uh, attacking AWS uh, for the Capital One thing, and I pulled up the picture of the slide I took. Uh, Amazon support policy in red, and in quotations, as a customer, you maintain full control of your content and responsibility for configuring access to AWS services. And then he says below that, Oracle's autonomous cloud services automatically configure themselves. Oracle customers are not able to make configuration errors, which is a pretty bold statement. <laughs> like, how does that even happen? Like, okay, so I have a database. It's you guys provisioned it for me. It's there. Like, now how do I connect my app to your database if I can't configure it and you don't make it available to me? Like, it, it, like just even some thought about this. Well, yeah, I mean, how do how do Oracle um, know? No configuration errors equals no configuration options. But how, how do yeah. Oracle know better than I do who should have access to my stuff? That's a rhetorical question. I don't question. know. It's yeah. Because there's only one option. It doesn't matter. There's no buttons to click when you go in there. There's there's no options. Yeah. It is what it is. Um, he did. Oh, uh, he said that or Amazon is the path to catastrophic data loss. So that was a uh, that was super fun. Um, he talked a lot about the Gen two. Uh, this is where I cut my comment about him. You know, he has a pr Amazon practitioner exam, but he doesn't have the you know the architect or pro architect uh, level certification because he keeps mentioning the Oracle Gen two infrastructure, and he talks about how you know there's no you know, there's no hypervisor on the host. It's just your compute. There's no shared tenancy, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on, uh, on this for a while. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, has he not heard of Nitro instances? Because Nitro instances are what you're talking about. They're dedicated pieces of hardware that secure your cloud that don't run a hypervisor. 
does exactly what you're talking about with your new Gen two hyper, you know, your new Gen two cloud, um, which is super crazy. Um, a lot of confusion in their messaging. I, I don't seem to quite be able to clarify if they're talking about the cloud is a cloud or the cloud is the database. <laughs> so that's a little bit confusing through as you kind of go through these things. Um, let's see. Well, they announced Gen two last year, so if they're still playing on that, then... they did. They're still they're still all over that. Um, yeah, so they, they have the slide where they're 100% IBM Red Hat compatible, and then you know they cut them two minutes later and said you can have it for free. Um, oh, one of the one of the favorite things they said was uh, Amazon, you know uh, Amazon of course offers Oracle Cloud Linux, uh, uh, you know because Oracle put it in their marketplace, but you know they called them their customer because of that, which I thought was sort of funny. <laughs> um, they claim that Oracle database is cheaper to run than Aurora, Dynamo, etc., uh, which was hilarious to me. Uh, and then they try to make an argument that because Oracle could do, you know, relational data warehouse, object storage, uh, columnar, like it can do all the things that all the little individual databases are, so that database is better because it's one single monolithic database that does all these things versus Amazon where you had to deploy DynamoDB and Postgres and SQL Server. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking like, well, that's not going to scale. Like, that's why you do these things. And there's a reason why you do purpose-built versus uh, multi, you know, multi-purpose um, for performance reasons at massive scales. And so, I mean, it's a, probably a valid argument for an enterprise of some size, but for like a SaaS business or for a cloud, you know, a, a B2C business, it, that doesn't make any sense at all. Oracle's trying to be the Swiss army knife of, of databases, but you know what, if, uh, if I need some careful surgery done, I don't want them to use a Swiss army knife, I want them to use a very precise scalpel. And uh, I think picking the right tool for the job is way more important than having a tool that can do everything. Although I do like to cut my pizza with scissors. I do cut my, my pizza with scissors, and also cool. bacon with scissors, too. Oh, the other, thing, Ooh, the other, nice. other comment about the multi-purpose database was he said, um, you know, you don't need to be experts to run, uh, you know, to run Oracle. You just have to know how to run Oracle, where if you used Aurora and Postgres and all these things on Amazon, you have to have eight or nine experts. I don't, I don't know how to run Aurora because somebody does it for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was like, I don't think you understand what these <laughs> services are exactly, sir. Um, but yeah, I mean... Overall, it was it was interesting. <laughs> like, I'm glad I went. I'm glad I saw it. Um, you know, I think I, I have a different respect probably for what their target market is and what they're trying to do and why it's important for them to offer these services at SaaS because companies don't want to run Oracle Financials. They don't want to run JD Edwards. They're big, massive monoliths. Same thing like why you, I wouldn't want to run SAP. I'd rather buy SAP as a SaaS product because... You know, you look at what an SAP architecture looks like, and you're like, my God, that's a lot of servers and systems that I have to maintain, test, and manage. Did they have, like, a vendor hall kind of thing with, with other people, with partners? They did, like, they who, did. Who was there? I mean, who, who represents, who wants to show their face at a place like Oracle Open World? Oh, I mean, amazing companies such as Accenture, uh, HCL, Tata, Wipro. I mean, all these big, massive professional services organizations that have made bajillions of dollars um, on, you know, selling Oracle hardware and helping you implement it. Uh, and one of the things was they were on the day two with the keynote that Safra Katz did. They spent, they had Accenture on stage for 25 minutes, basically giving an Accenture keynote at Oracle Open World about all the things that Accenture has been doing. But there was no, like, they talked about this customer, but they never named the customer, which was super awkward. Like, how do you go through that? <laughs> uh, it was a little interesting. Yeah, I think it's it. I don't think I have other questions or any other comments uh, from my tweet thread. But what? Any other questions from you guys? Are you going to go back next year? I mean, Ooh. I I mean, most likely my my PR handler is listening, and so I'm going to say yes. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I I think it would be I I'm sort of curious now based on going to it what what they're going to do and how they're going to position this because I think you know to Peter's point you know building 35 data centers is a ton of capital investment. And how that gets executed and becomes profitable for them. Um, I saw a blog, you know, I saw an article today, kind of a wrap up of Oracle Open World, and they were saying, you know, it's very clear that Oracle doesn't have a clear strategy around the cloud and what and how they're going to become anything better than the number six cloud provider. Um, and you know, even though they gained, you know, according to some surveys, from six percent to eleven percent market share um, in the last year, that still kept them in sixth place. They didn't move any position. Eleven percent market share. <laughs> <laughs> of of who exactly? That's just... So whoever answered this survey for this company, and I don't, yeah. I'm not even going to link to it because yeah. I was like, I don't know, I don't know your audience who who took the survey and who who they are, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, but um, it kind of sounds like yeah. one of those so it's like nine out of ten dentists recommend you brush your teeth kind of thing. It's like, yeah, well, you know, 
and the questions they ask in the surveys are more important than the answers. Oh, oh, another weird thing. Um, so Peter was at GC. You were at Google Next. Uh, I know Jonathan wasn't. And then at Amazon. So uh, at Reignite uh, and at Google Next, the security to get into the building had metal detectors as you walked into mm. the building. So you walked yep. in through a metal detector, they did a bad check, and then you got your badge, and then you were in the conference, right? And you were secured. Um, same thing with Ignite in Boston. Uh, reInvent had it at some venues, but not all of them. But they had like the, the dogs walking around, and they had kind of the other little metal detector things. I don't actually know how they work, because I don't understand the physics of that. But you know, they, they have a bunch of stuff at, at reInvent to also do security. And I think they maybe added bag check at some of the venues last year. So anyway, so, like, so you kind of go to it, and you feel secure, because you, know, you go through all this stuff. The Oracle Open World, there is no security with a bag check until you go to the keynote. <laughs> so apparently the only people that Oracle cares about securing is the keynote speakers, which is their executives, uh, which was kind of a weird sideway. Like, wh why would you not do that at the door versus, you know, when you're in the building through the conference hall and through the exhibits and all the sessions to the main floor? I don't, I don't quite understand that. Uh, and where the media was at was also not secured with metal detectors. It was it was just very interesting, uh, their take on security versus, you know, if you're going to do this investment in security and secure everything versus just your executives, please. It's autonomous security, though. You just, you just, oh, you just didn't see right. it happen. It is called open. It, <laughs> it is called open. And, and, you know, when the autonomous uh, Oracle systems take over and create the Terminators, we'll all know where they came from. All right. Well, I think that's it for Oracle. Uh, it was it was fun. I'm glad I went, but uh, we'll see about next year. And off to the lightning round. Well, great job with that. that. That was great summary. And might I say, I very much am now looking forward to the Us Two Prediction Show next. Oh, year. I, 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 it would be the. So you know how we talked about uh, that Jonathan could crush the Asia Prediction Show because he was just going to pick things that other other cloud providers have done. That is literally yeah. the strategy you take for for the us two prediction show. Is literally, yes. you know, what are what are five things that Amazon announced five years ago <laughs> that Oracle doesn't have today? Like, I, I you know, you could probably name them off the top of your head with not much thought. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. It'll be like a basketball score, a hundred to eighty. I assume by I assume by next year we'll get to Gen three uh, cloud from Oracle, and that and then from what the they'll do up. is they'll have you know your compute infrastructure the autonomous perimeter production, and then they'll have it in a, another autonomous building or something. I don't know. That'd be the Gen 3 cloud. And no other provider provides you the Gen 3 cloud. I don't know. What, I don't know. We'll see. Yep. Well, we will see. On to the lightning round. AWS Storage Gateway adds Amazon CloudWatch logging and metrics for file gateway. I mean, should we start killing CloudWatch announcements? Because do we really care that things are getting logging that they should have always had? You know, since whenever there's a reduction in cost, they always add some more stuff you can spend money on. Ooh, oh, nice. yeah, that's true. AWS Elemental Media Live now supports HEVC and 4K UHD outputs for live channels. That is an impressive uh, feat. That's a lot of bandwidth, uh, but very awesome because my little server at home uh, struggles to just transcode 4K video uh, natively without even converting it. So that, uh, to do it live and stream it across the internet uh, through this service, that's If awesome. only they had experience running some kind of video on demand platform to draw from. Ooh. <laughs> Amazon QuickSight launches level aware calculations, larger spice data sets, and more. How how much longer till they're aware that no one uses the service? Oh, that's a that's a low ball. Rough. It's <laughs> a low blow. They open the door with level aware calculations. What do you want me to do? I'm, I'm a I'm an opportunist. I'm going to walk through that door and make you, the bad joke. You know joke. why? You know why they're launching those <laughs> things? Right? It's because it. it's got, they got such bad press for their their autonomous systems for like disc learning to discriminate against applicants for their jobs. They have to put these these special yeah. checks and things in place to uh, make th make sure things are fair anymore. I mean, maybe this is going to be autonomous quick site next year. Maybe work mail message flow. Now has an SDK. I got to call bullshit on this. Like three years ago, I built a system that used Lambda to read email messages that came in through, uh, through mail. This is nothing new. Maybe they stole it from you. Have you? Did you leave your GitHub credentials somewhere? No, I, I, root credentials. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's a fantastic story about Jonathan's uh, email parser, and my my interaction with the Amazon employee about it, which was just pretty humorous. <laughs> 
So, I mean, yours was done at the um, the simple email service level. This one is done at the workmail level. So it's different, Jonathan. I assume that that real idea of this is that they want to give you an SDK so that then companies who are doing um, email security scanning or phishing type scanning can use this SDK to actually look at mail. Is that why we build this? I don't, I, I I don't really so know. So you can inspect, you can read people's email. I mean, then you can monetize it like, like Gmail or... The lead customer, uh, Cambridge Analytica. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, ding, ding, ding. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Elastic load balancing. Network load balancers now support multiple TLS certificates using SNI. Finally, I can retire my F5s. Yeah, this is, this is awesome. This is my feature yes. request from a couple of years ago. And uh, finally realized it's great. Amazon SageMaker now supports more refined access control using Amazon SageMaker specific condition keys. Sounds like a, a Capital One response. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Almost certainly that Capital One data was some, some kind of uh, analytics account. I wish they would get the, uh, the the dictionary instructions where you can't use the same word to describe the thing. Like, you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Unloading Sage is maker, the act- You know, it's like a SageMaker. Yeah, it's like a SageMaker. What's, what's the problem? So. You know. Uh, in all seriousness, more condition keys is better. AWS Marketplace makes it easier to, de- to deploy Lambda functions with AMIs. My, my first reaction to this is, what the f***? But, but really, like, <laughs> I, I, this is, there's no detail in the announcement. It just doesn't make sense. It, it sounds like it's just a packaging of, you know, you get an AMI plus a Lambda thing maybe to monitor well, it, I, I, I guess. Isn't that what service catalog's for? You would think so, right? Maybe, maybe they're, I mean, if this is like a step in the direction of, hey, we're going to give you more complex marketplace solutions that, you know, because I'd be nice to be able to say, hey, I want to use this service that's going to leverage RDS and a Dynamo table and Redis and a Lambda function, and I'm going to now package all of that up to you as a marketplace offering that I can just buy, that's a really great innovation and, and super helpful. So maybe I'm hoping this is kind of baby steps towards that reality, and they're just starting with Lambda because some customer wanted it first. I just really like AMIs. It literally says using AWS CloudFormation. I mean, we could, we could already deploy those things with CloudFormation. But now they can sell you the CloudFormation through Marketplace and take a cut oh, of it, Jonathan. Come on. It's like their own service catalog. AWS Marketplace makes it easier to find solutions from the AWS console. So I look forward to developers now finding all kinds of terrible Marketplace solutions that they can deploy more easily from the console. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks for that. Coming next week, IAM permissions yes. and tagging for AWS Marketplace. <laughs> Yeah, the rule should be if you can't find it via the API, you're not allowed to have it. I, I Yeah, I can see it now. They're, developers are going to go and say, you know what? I want to spin up WordPress. And I'm going to go to the console. I'm going to say launch EC2 instance. And I'm, I'm going to say, uh, I don't, you know, Ubuntu, Amazon, Linux. And then they say WordPress. So there's going to be a search box. I'm going to type WordPress. And the next thing I know, there's going to be a Bitnami AMI that pops up for oh, them I from Marketplace those. for like $12 a minute. And I'm going to be billed like $35,000 for this WordPress server that would have taken them literally as easy as installing Amazon Linux 2 and then doing yum install WordPress. And we would have been done. But no, no, we're going to make it easier for them to find the Bitnami thing. It does say right. easier, Thanks. not cheaper. Or better. Y- yes. <laughs> or better. <laughs> Usually you get to pick two from that triangle. But in this case, you just get to pick the one. And the winner is Jonathan oh. for uh, giving me kudos pretty much. <laughs> oh, excellent. But also for showing up tonight. Thank Good you. job, Jonathan. Thank you. That was excellent. Yeah, slightly back on form, maybe. Yes, I liked it. You were on it. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you next week we have some exciting stuff to talk about since we're recording on Wednesdays now for a little while because Jonathan's got some stuff going on Tuesdays. Um, so I already have show notes started for next week, and we have some cool stuff to talk about next week. So look forward to that next. Uh... Awesome. Can't right. wait to see the notes. Yeah, it's going to be good. All right, guys, uh, we'll have a great evening and a happy Wednesday to you all, and we'll talk to you next week here at the Cloud Pod. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag thecloudpod. Or join our Slack channel, go to our website, thecloudpod.net, for sign-up instructions.